0: Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the book of Romans, for what it has meant to the Christian church, for what it's meant to each one of us. And as we um, study it through this week, we want to be able that we can share it with other people. Uh, We want it to change our own lives. We want it to have a powerful impact on us and everyone else about us. So thank you again for being here. We want the presence of the Holy Spirit, who's the real divine teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to, uh, this is Romans chapter 1. If I do not have enough of these, you, yeah, if you'd be my helper, I'd be happy for that. And uh, Brother Dennis, somebody else might have to leave early too. He's got to leave early because he's got an a assignment he has to take care of. If you don't um, get one, then I will see how many else extra I need, and then we'll work on bringing some tomorrow. May not be quite in the same format, but um, we will uh, go from there. Okay, all you're going to need for this class is your your Bible and maybe a pen. All right, chapter chapter one, and we will go right there. Uh, I always like the introduction because if you think about the history of the Christian Church. What's the most well-known church in the world? Huh? It's called Roman, am I right? Yes. So the book of Romans was written to the church in Rome because that church was destined to have a huge impact. And I think that human history could have been really, really very different my apologies for running out of these, but uh, raise your hand if you didn't get one. I want to count see how many I need. One, raise them high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Maybe I'll do ten more um, tomorrow just to make sure. Okay, um, so it has had a huge impact. If the book of Romans had been listened to, if the book of Romans had been followed, human history would have been different vastly different. Um, instead, it, it was not. Now, when I did this series some years ago, and I've, I've been telling myself that I'm going to redo this series, we did not have the New King James Version, and we got the New King James Version. I did it based on the New International, which is a great reading Bible. I loved reading it. But I like the New King James for study. I like the New American Standard for study. So I'm going to use the New uh, King James um, and these answers are not just fill in the blank. You have to think about some of these answers and some of the questions that I give you. We've got another chair here. I think there's three back there. Uh, so come, come right on in. And All right, let's, uh, I, I, let me go down to, uh, again, the, the first part here. I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, The ancient church of the patriarchs, come right on in, there's a chair right there, there's one back there, we still have a few chairs left here. The ancient church of the patriarchs wrestled with their human tendencies to evil. Do we have them? Everybody in the room has selfish tendencies to evil. And they decided to trust nature instead of the Lord. And so out of that, paganism was born. Uh, I was just doing some study not too long ago on ancient Egypt. It was probably one of the earliest, and I got much of that from ancient Babylon. That has a huge impact around the world. Most of paganism is in, in, they'll name the gods different, and that sort of thing, but the basic philosophy and the basic understanding is all the same. It's all in cahoots together, if you really look at it. Uh, If you go back to the ancient Jewish church, they wrestled with a Come on in. We've got um, a couple seats here, and there's some seats back there, and so forth. So, okay. We'll get you settled, seated in here. Okay. Tell Elder Ratzar he can come and help me teach this class. Yeah, I don't want you to get in the back row. I want you on the front row. So. You take advantage of all the help you can get. When... All right, good. So you, we, have, we have born to us paganism that's a, influenced the world. You have Jewish legalism, which has had a huge influence on the world. And then the Church of Rome itself uh, wrestled with all of this. The Church of Rome had a primacy because of its location, you know it's like being located in Washington DC all right so because we're located in Washington DC and because the government is there, we somehow and anyway, that's the way the ancients kind of thought. and out of that we have a um, dreadful union of religions and secular power, terrible persecutions resulted. And we're still wrestling with a lot of that kind of thing today. So let's let's go to the book of Romans. I'm not going to cover every text because I want, I've got five sessions and I want to get through the first eight chapters. I would love to get through the first 11 chapters. But uh, I don't want to be such a speed uh, going through this that you begin to lose me. So this is a teaching class, not a preaching class. I think we can still make room here. There's one back there. So you can f- feel free anytime to raise your hand. You can make a comment. You can ask a question wherever you like because I want it to be a teaching uh, experience. But I'm going to not go over every text here that you, you will have. That's the that part two. I'm, I'm going to bring uh-huh. more tomorrow. I, my apologies. Uh, I should have uh, had more faith or something, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'll, bring, I'll bring another... I'll bring 15 more tomorrow. How's that? And so, but if you've, got, if, if you've got your Bible, you can follow along pretty easy here. So, um, all right, I'm going to start with verses 3 and 4, and I'm going to read them, not because I always like to hear my own voice, but because I'm, I'm on, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, they want to do some kind of CDs out of it. So anyway, let's, uh, let's uh, go right into this. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Now the question that I want to ask here, What is what evidence does Paul offer that Jesus is indeed the Son of God? What's the evidence? And I'm using that word evidence on purpose. What's the evidence from the text? The resurrection. Now, a lot of people sometimes don't know this. You know, you have people, oh, Christianity's just a myth and that sort of thing. But let me tell you, I don't, I don't have all of this in front of me, and I don't have time to even uh, go into it a lot, but you can just take my word for some of it, and you can look some of it up. Back in the late 1800s, there was a Harvard lawyer. He sat in, the, in that seat, the chair. He was the chair of what we'd say, the chair of the department, and he did not believe in Christians. He was not a Christian, didn't believe in Jesus, thought Jesus was a myth. The whole thing was just a fairy tale. Somebody just came up with it. But he's a lawyer, and he says, do I have any lawyers in here? (laughs) Nobody that would admit it at this point. Um, But he was a lawyer, and so he says, I'm just going to prove this thing is just a hoax. So he went at it with a legal mind, like a court he would go, like a prosecuting attorney. When he got done, he became a Christian. Because he said the evidence is so overwhelming for the resurrection that it cannot be denied since that time he has been followed by a lot of agnostics uh, similar kinds of professional people scholars who study ancient documents the documents that we have here this is translated into English for us but the ancient documents that we have for this are numerous and uh, and they're and they're all pretty much really very closely agree. There may be a little nuance, but it doesn't change the meaning of them. So if you there's a science of studying ancient documents. And these people are studying these ancient documents, even though they may not be Christians, and they'll tell you they're not Christians. They'll tell you they can't explain how the resurrection happened. But the fact is, they believe a resurrection happened. And the reason they believe that is because of several things that these ancient documents uh, share. And I can't, I can't just rattle all of them, but let me just give you a few. One is there was never a body. No one ever found the body of Christ. Even his enemies, which usually is, if they give you a testimony, it's not because they like you, it's because they were forced into it, am I right? Even they testified that there wasn't a body. How did they testify that there wasn't a body? Because they didn't have it. And they said, somebody must have it, but we don't have it. Do you think if they had the body that they would have paraded that before the world? And, and what would have happened to Christianity at that moment? It would have been dead right there. We wouldn't be sitting here today. It would have been over with, as, as they say. Then there there, there is... Um, there is uh the death of jesus uh who was uh, who Joseph of Arimathea was a well-known man who was part of the sanhedrin and the death account of jesus is very very striking and uh if that had been false being as prominent a person as he was what do you think Everybody would have said, when the disciples stood up and said, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. They would have said, are, are you nuts? You're crazy. You told that story about Joseph Armitthea, take him off, putting him in his tomb. You're, you're crazy, people. That never happened. We've got Joseph Armitthea right here, and he says, you're crazy. You're just making the story up. No refutation of that at all. None. And, uh, and, and so as they begin to take these things, and, and the other thing is, why would 12 men be willing to die? 12 of them, plus the other disciples, be willing to die, be willing to be tortured, <laughs> if this was a lie. And it was never refuted. When they begin to look at all of this, they say the resurrection is a fact of history, not an imagination. Now let me say this. If the resurrection, and it is, if the resurrection is a fact, then Genesis is a fact. I mean, the resurrection becomes the pivot in this whole picture. Uh, And the reason is because Jesus himself endorsed Genesis. If the resurrection is a fact, the second coming is a fact. Isn't that wonderful? And if the resurrection is a fact, and I have and you have put your trust in Jesus, my sins are forgiven. (laughs) Isn't that good news? If the resurrection, and it is a fact. So Paul starts that book off, this powerful book. Come on in. He starts this powerful book on, off by giving us the evidence, the evidence that all of this is true. Well, let me get back and let's uh, continue. You just make yourself comfortable. If you want to sit over here, park it, here. however you want to do it, it's fine. we we'll, will work with you. All right, let's go let's go to verse 5. Verse 5. Yes, I'm sorry, please. What you just said interesting that Genesis 3 the first Yes, that's right. Yeah. See to the woman. Yeah, that's good. All right, let's uh let's look at uh let's look at verse 5 together. Through him, Christ Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship for what is that next word? To the what? For how many? For his name. Um, There's just been this myth. And I love my evangelical brothers and sisters, I love my Catholic brothers and sisters. I, I, I love every, we want to love everybody. Am I right? But there is just, the devil has done this. There has just been this whole mindset that it doesn't matter, that obedience doesn't matter, only thing that matters is faith. And I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. But Paul's objective, what's an objective? His goal, his purpose in writing Romans is to produce in you and me What? Obedience. Obedience. Wow. Why? Well, this whole sin problem came because of disobedience. Am I right? And it's not that God is trying to be, uh, and we'll talk more about freedom as we go along. And Dr. Rosara, you're supposed to chip in here anytime you want. He's, He's a wonderful Bible scholar. You know, I've spent hours together. So the point is that we have to be brought back into harmony with the rest of the universe. It's the disharmony in the universe that's brought about the curse that we're all going through right now. So uh, we, we want to understand that. I, I, don't, I think so many people that comment on the book of Romans never read the first few verses he, he obedience is an important deal here. And uh, so how does, how does he intend for this obedience to come about? That's right, by teaching them to have faith in Christ. So he not only has the end result, he also has the method by which he wants to get to that. Come on in, ladies. There's still a little room here. You just come in and make yourself at home. All right. Let's uh, let's go down to uh, verse. I want to go down to verse sixteen. I know that skips down a little bit, but I'm going to count on some of you. Uh, I mean, I can take one hour on just one chapter uh, easily. We can we can do that. But I'm going to let you read some of that. All right. Now, verse sixteen is a very very uh, well known text, and it says, "For I am not ashamed." Oh, is not that a wonderful. I I could just stop right there. I think the GUIC young people had that for a theme one. I am not ashamed. Now, you can say what you want to, Paul is saying, to the Roman world. You can accuse us. By the way, they were accusing the early Christians of everything in the book. It was not popular to be an early Christian. They were, come on in, you may have to put a chair right there. Um, they They were accused of everything, including being cannibals. Can you believe? Oh, Yeah. That was the rumor mill. You know, if they had the Internet today, they'd be jumping all over. Did you know that we've discovered the Apostle Paul is a cannibal? <laughs> uh, that, that's the kind of stuff that they would do to them. There, there was no... By the way, if you trust the Internet, talk to me afterwards. I want to help you out. <laughs> Uh, It's like trusting television before, but in our world today, everybody, you know, that's where they go, because anybody can put any of their garbage on, all of that kind of stuff. Now, I'm not saying there's not truth there, but you have to be careful to uh, make sure that your sources uh, are good. All right, let, did I hear somebody start say something? Yeah, amen, okay, bless you. All right, let's, uh, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, there's a reason why Paul is not ashamed. He says, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. So he's not ashamed because of what? Give me one word. Has power. Has power. I said in my little burp on this class, it's the gospel has changed the lives of countless millions. I'm one changed my life I I am not what I would be without the gospel of Christ it's changed me it's power to change and there's no there's no other religion in the world and the power to change is the power to become like God in that good news and we're talking about in character Uh, One of my prayers is, Lord, help me to love the things You love and help me to despise the things You despise. Uh, There are things that God does hate, by the way. But hallelujah for the things He loves. And I want to love the things He loves. So this, this gospel has power. That's why the devil hates it. That's why He brought on the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages. That's why He's put in people's mind today, I'm saved by grace. I'm, I'm not trying to make fun, but you know, you hear it all the time. I'm saved by grace. Don't worry about your works. It's not, imp- it's not important. You're not saved by your works. Hallelujah, I'm not saved by my works, because if I were, I'd be lost already. But that doesn't mean that the gospel isn't concerned about my obedience. The gospel is concerned about my obedience, concerned about your obedience. So you hear, many people are just lulled, at, oh, I believe, so thank you, Lord. I, I ran into a person one time, I was talking to them, and this person looked at me, I was down south, and uh, you probably find it in Grand Rapids, too. I haven't found it, I mean, I'm sure it's there, somebody's from Grand Rapids, you'll be upset with me, but we have, we have a lot of Calvinistic thinking in Michigan, particularly on the west coast, and you certainly have it down south. My ancestors, a lot of them were Scots, Irish kinds of people, inhabited Appalachia. And they came from Northern Scotland. If you know anything about Northern Scotland, it was Calvinistic, and I can still remember that. For my father was a primitive Baptist. You don't have people like that up here, but they're wonderful people, except they're hyper Calvinistic. And this guy said to me, he said, he says I can do anything. He said, "I can lie, cheat, steal, kill, murder. I can do all that kind of stuff." And he says, "And I'm saved, and there's nothing that can change it. Right? Wow. Yeah, that's what you call. Uh, yeah, yeah, not in them. Yeah, that's that. That's very good. But that's not what Paul is. The Gospel of Romans says the gospel has the power to produce obedience. In, in our lives. So, all right, let's Let's uh, let's look at verse uh, 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Mark it down. The just have always lived by faith. And mark it down. Now, I know that when we get to heaven, there will be a lot of things that we have faith in will turn into sight. Am I right? By faith, I believe there's a new Jerusalem. Someday I will see that in clarity. Uh, There's a lot of things right now that I'm moving on faith. But I want to tell you something else that I believe. And that is that through the ceaseless ages of eternity, we will live by faith. Because there will always be between us, Dr. Ratzarov, between us and God, a gap that will never be closed, it cannot be closed yeah he that's right. He is from eternity to eternity, and we will always have to trust him. Is there another chair in the house? Okay, there's one more chair they, say. they think. There's at least another chair back there. You'll have to kind of make your way through the... This is a sweet crowd, though. They're nice. Might have been easier to come back this way, but I think she's going to make it. Okay. Okay, this, that's a key point. Because if we learn to live by faith here it'll be natural to trust God there. In other words, there's things that God is going to ask us to do that He's not always going to explain. And we're going to do it because we know He loves us. We trust His love. And we trust His power. And we trust His intellectual ability. And we're going to say, For you, God, I'll do whatever you ask because I know you. You wouldn't give given your only begotten son if you had not loved God. You would not have done it. And it's going to be sweet. And when we trust God, we get through whatever we go through, we look back and say, you're you're greater than I thought you were. That's why you're never going to get bored. The just live by faith eternity. The just shall live by faith. Verse 17, that's the powerful moment. Let's go down to 18 and 19. For the ra- Oh, the wrath of God. Mm. How many sermons have you... Don't raise your hand. How many sermons have you heard lately on the wrath of God? Not in our culture. We're still making fun of Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. What people don't tell you is that caused a great revival. I read the sermon. I don't agree with everything he said. I want you to know that. He got pretty graphic in some of his uh, Calvinistic, uh, Puritan, whatever. But to be lost is a terrible thing. To be lost. And sometimes people say, how can we reconcile the wrath of God with the love of God? We'll talk about that more as we get into Romans, but there is a thing called judicial wrath. What's judicial wrath? Anybody want to try to define that for me? What's judicial wrath? Punishment fits the crime. Very good. Why do we have Judges. Why will we not have judges in the earth made new? You won't need them, am I right? It's only a sinful society that needs a judge who has wrath, am I right? I mean, doesn't the judge, when he sentences somebody, doesn't he execute wrath at that point? In behalf of society, I sentence you to X because we're angry with what you did, so we are going to do this to you. well there's a there's a difference between here usually when paul does it it's it's a ju- that's why I use the word judicial wrath there's a difference between uh what's the word i want arbitrary anger I get mad because you look cross outed at me and so I do something ugly that that's 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 anger that's uh maybe uncontrolled anger or arbitrary. God is not arbitrary. What God, everything God does is precise. Whatever God respo- does in response is precise. That's not true about our human anger. I had a wonderful father, and sometimes he executed uh, judicial anger. I could tell you stories. And I'm grateful for it. Paul says that when you grow up, you'll be grateful for fathers who executed, in my words. Did you ever execute judicial anger with your... No, I wouldn't put you on the spot. <laughs> I did. I did. But there are probably some times that I, that I, that I used arbitrary anger. Then you, you feel sorry about that. Say, I shouldn't have done that. I, I, I could have done better with that. But God never has arbitrary anger like we think of. So when the word wrath is used, I like to use it in the context of judicial wrath. Because the courts of heaven have a problem with sinners. But God doesn't want us to ever have to stand in the judgment. Isn't that good news? He doesn't ever want us to experience his wrath. Let me tell you, it's necessary. What did I say? Necessary for God to execute wrath, judicial wrath. I will get, Romans will get into that more, and we'll 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 uh, we'll plumb the depths of that. that was a good question. Let's let me uh, put. Uh, let me go down to. Um, the question is number nine, still under 17, uh, verse 17. If a person refuses to put his trust in God, who will he trust? He's going to trust himself. Am I right? Or he's going to trust something. It's not going to help him. Um, I'll say this again in this class. I may say it more than once. But trust always gives birth to behavior. You tell me what you trust, I'll predict your behavior. Always. Behavior is the result of you having faith in something. I've used this illustration many times. But if this room began to shake, what would you do? No, I'd leave. <laughs> and let me tell you, the rest of you are right behind me. Why? What happened all of a sudden? We're sitting here calm, cool, collected, as they say, unfearful. We have trust in the building. Am I right? But if it begins to shake, what happened to your, what happened to your trust? and what happens to your behavior yes no trust precedes precedes behavior yeah okay, i see where you're coming from you you're talking about somebody else's behavior that changes your behavior i'm talking about on an individual uh, person so whatever I do I do it because of trust in something. Now somebody else's behavior may upset me, but then that behavior is still going to that response is still going to be on who I trust at that point. Their behavior may spark a response, but my response is also based on a trust factor. Good question. Yes. Okay, that's a that's a good that's good. That's good. God's God's behavior gives birth to our trust. Good. All right, let's go to verses 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. How much ungodliness escapes the wrath of God? Mark it down. That means none of my ungodliness, none of your ungodliness, none of our ungodliness escapes the judicial wrath of God. Yes? So, is, it, is being revealed. What was happening at that time in the moment that, I mean, what evidence do we see of, of how God actually showed that? How was it revealed at that time? Um, if you just hang on to that question and come back to it, uh, because I think you're going to see this unfold. Paul's going to go right through a litany here of God's judicial anger and how it's per- revealed. But, it's also revealed in another way that he's also getting to. It's a very good question. It's insightful. Yeah, he's talking about right now it's been revealed or is being revealed or is in the process of being revealed. Yes, yes, Acts is a good thing. Okay, let's, let's look at this. It's being revealed against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, why is God so angry at people who suppress the truth? What? Yes. As That's what faces Yes. That's why he's angry at Satan. Because well, Satan suppressed the truth. Now, let me ask you a question, because you're right on the right track. What was the result of suppressing the truth? What did it do to the relationship between God and his children? Let me put it into modern terms. If somebody comes up to your children and says, let me tell you about your daddy. Let me tell you what a terrible person he is or your mommy. And they tell all kinds of lies about you. Or they tell all kinds of lies about your wife. And your children say, wow. And the relationship is broken. Is that going to make somebody upset? As a parent, would that make you upset? Make you very upset. That's why God is upset when you suppress the truth. Relationships are built on trust. And trust is built on the truth. So if I tell my wife when she's 22... Promise to lover. To death do his part. I can best up the trust. Right? And breaks up the relationship. Or if you insert somebody else into that relationship. And that's what the devil does. That's what people do when they suppress the truth. They don't want you to know the truth. You'll hear the Apostle Paul say in some of the gospels or some of his writings. He gets very angry at these people who show up after he's taught people the gospel and they start confusing his mind. He gets really upset with them. If you were to read over there in Galatians, he says, you know, you ought to go just take care of yourself, so to speak. But uh, he gets pretty, pretty upset with them. And um, because suppressing the truth destroys relationships because it destroys trust. All right. Um Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. He's already shown it to people that are suppressing the truth. Verse 20, and I'm, I'm watching your question, not watching it, but not forgetting your question. But watch what he starts to do here. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without what? Excuse. Excuse. I, there's a huge battle going on. I mentioned on my Friday night sermon, if you were there, that um, God raised up four powers to help offset the apostasy in the Christian church. And part of that was the Muslim is Islam. Another one was, there's positive and there's negative, negatives and there was the Protestant Reformation, of course, and the rise of the remnant. And the other was the rise of, re- of atheism. And you find that in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation, the beast from the bottomless pit, is the rise of atheism. And let me tell you, atheism has gone away. I mean, we've seen the great sponsors of atheism, state sponsors of atheism, the Soviet Union, Uh, China today to a certain degree and all these communistic countries. That was, you know, their, their state religion was atheism. But we are really suffering that in the western world today. I want you to know the internet has become a fertile ground of attack on Christianity. And they're destroying, a lot of our young people are being totally destroyed. Their faith in God is being totally destroyed by these atheistic things. And they're using evolution as a basis for that. Um... If you get a chance, and uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the person by the name of, um, of uh, John Lennox. John Lennox is a Christian. He's not a Seventh-day Adventist, of course, but he's uh, he's a Christian, and he is um, a world-class mathematician. So he's a world-class scientist. He uh he works, I think, at Cambridge or Oxford University and got his degree from one of those and he's there. And so he mixes up all the time with these people who believe that you can reduce everything to some material uh, something. That you can reduce everything so that all we are are just a lot of uh, zillions of chance chances and suddenly we're what we are. He gives some of the most powerful arguments, and he's debated people like the uh, high priest, uh, we call, I call him the high priest of uh, evolution, and that's uh, Richard Hawkins, or Dawkins, I think it's Dawkins, there's a couple of them there, and um, and these guys, he wrote the book, uh, The God Illusion, and it just, you know, and so people say, I was reading some the other day, it said 25% of the people in America today don't even believe in God anymore. And so, uh, by the way, let me tell you that we, we need to stand up and call uh, evolution and atheism what it is. Evolution gave the impetus to the Nazis. The Nazis believed in this um, uh, survival of the fittest, and that's, that's the basis of evolution. Uh, it's the whole concept of evolution. Uh, Evolutionists don't like to admit that. Uh, They like to attack Christianity. They say, well, look at this terrible stuff. You know, look at the Inquisition, look at this and look at that. Well, let's talk about atheism. Let's talk about how many tens of millions of people died under Stalin, under Lenin, under Khrushchev. How many? How many people died in Cambodia with your atheistic concept? How many people died in China? A lot of people don't know this. Up towards 70 million people under Macy Tongue himself, not to speak of all the ones since. Let's just let's let's talk about the the bloodshed of atheism. Uh, Even the atheists are forced to admit that any morals that we have in the Western world have come from biblical Christianity. They hate it, they war against it, but they can't, they can't deny it because they don't have a source for moral. In other words, if it's a survival of the fittest, there's no moral. There, there are professors in our universities that will tell you, that won't judge Hitler. Well, you know, you know, he was doing... He has a right to really... This is crazy stuff. I saw. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen. Uh, he's not an Adventist evangelist, but he does some good stuff. I'm trying to remember his name right off. It'll come back to me. Uh, Ray, who? Ray Comfort. Thank you very much, Ray Comfort. He's got a. He's got a film that's worth watching. It's called Evolution uh, versus God or God versus Evolution. He goes on these college campuses. And he interviews the students. And he also interviews the professors. You ought to see it. I don't have time to uh, get into it. But one of the scenes in there was he came up to one of these young people who's some bright kid and some whatever. And he says to him, he says, if your neighbor, he says, do you love your dog? And he says, yeah. He says, if your neighbor's drowning and your dog is drowning and you can only save one of them, which one would you save? And he said, Well. And Ray says, so really there's no difference really between your dog and the human being, right? They're just. Well, he says, I I don't I don't want to sound bad. People think bad of me. He said, So so who which one would you save? He said, well, I'd save my dog. Mm-hmm. That's where this goes. That should be a wake-up call. That means. The only thing that matters to me is me. That's the only thing that matters. Uh, it's it's pretty awful stuff. John Lennox and his, uh, and I don't have time to get into all those. And by the way, you can't embrace everything everybody says, but God raises up people to do some neat things sometimes. And, and this is one of them. Uh, I don't buy every nuance of John Lennox. I just want you to know that and uh, but i think he's god is really using him but uh, he says he says god is not a delusion he says we as christians he says we know what the delusional gods are he says the delusional gods everywhere they're created gods we don't believe in created gods because the first thing these guys will do you get them back in the corner and a few years ago they came up with the big bang now i'm not here to get into the discussion about the big bang but here let me tell you the difference before the Big Bang, all of these evolutionistic scientists were saying, matter has always existed, energy's always existed, everything's always been here. It, just like Peter said in 1 Peter, you know, nothing has changed and it's always been there, and so that's what's eternal. And then came the Big Bang theory, which said, Oh, what? And these guys resisted that for a while because they said, what do you mean? Uh, this is saying that there was a time when nothing existed. Nothing. And now you've got a point in time where, boom, everything starts to exist. So they got a problem with that. So they can't deny that there was a time when everything that we see in the universe did not exist, which is exactly what the Bible teaches, by the way. Uh, Of course, the Bible says that God started it all. But so they know where you're going with this. So uh, Lennox, you know, he says, so where did it all come from? And they anticipate that. And you know what their question is? Where did your God come from? Who created your God? And that's where Linux comes back and says, I don't have a created God. We don't have a created God. We don't believe in delusional gods. Our God is not delusional. Our God always has been. That may be hard for us to comprehend. We may not be able to comprehend that. But the God we serve, there was never a time when He did not exist. And there will never be a time He will not exist. Amen. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He's not created. Jesus is not created. In Him is life, unborrowed, original, and underived. I don't know how you can be plainer than that. He came from nowhere because He always has been, never created. Holy Spirit has always been. The Father has always been. There were time when they were not. And so He says, our God has always been, and He's the one that started all of this. They really don't have an answer to that. God bless you, Dennis. Um, and then he says, I, this is another one I like. He says that the real issue is that atheism is delusional. And he says, let me illustrate what I mean by that. And he says to these atheists, he says, you believe, of course, that you are that mind that you have is result of Millions and zillions of little tiny changes, all by chance. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. They have to admit it. All by chance. That's what your mind. He says, so tell me. He says, how do you know that you can trust your own mind? How do you know it's telling you anything that's true? He said, no. He said, God created the universe. And He created our mind so we can appreciate His universe. He said it's atheism that's delusional. I love it. I saw somebody's hand here. Oh, yeah. It's, it gets pitiful. You will to see it. You, if you get a chance, God uh, versus evolution... It's worth, uh, it's worth that watch. So we're starting down that, and, and that's what Paul has just declared. You go to the book of Colossians, and he says the same thing about Jesus, uh, that there's no, there's, there's no real excuse here. For, uh, the, and the reason is, the reason the devil loves evolution and atheism, because can you have a relationship with God if you believe that you evolved through zillions of all these little tiny, you don't have a relationship with God. You can't be an atheist or an agnostic and have a relationship with God. You have to believe that God exists. What does is, the what is uh, Hebrews say? Chapter 11, that without faith it is impossible to please God because we must believe that He is and that He's the rewarder, He's active in our lives of those who what? Diligently seek. So the very foundation of happiness and joy is based on this whole fact that God is real. And oh, I you know, I come back on Leonard Jake on uh, 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 John Lennox and they'll say um, something to the fact um, oh, I lost my train of thought. You ever do that? <laughs> I, I think that's it'll come back to me in a second. I'll get it in a second. I did that in a sermon not too long ago, and afterwards somebody came up to me and said, did you remember what you said? I wanted to hear what that said. So I created some curiosity, I guess. I wasn't doing it on purpose. but um, All right, let's, let's get back down to this. Okay, um, let's verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, without excuse, verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. At the root of atheism, at the root of all of this craziness, is unthankfulness to God for what He has done for us. That's why praise is important. God inhabits, inhabits the praises of His people. If we have a grateful heart and we're grateful to the Lord, then it builds faith in our lives. Um, we'll see that a little later too. We get into chapter four of um, of this book. Let me go on down just a little bit further here. The foolish hearts are dark and they become futile. Verse twenty two: professing to be wise, they became what? You you see that thing that that uh, film by Ray Comfort, and you'll see that just so clear. It's, this whole thing is foolish. You know, it's just foolishness. Um, and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. There's not a lot of difference between evolution and paganism. Paganism, they worship the earth, they worship the trees, they worship the animals, uh, and that's basically what paganism does. Paganism now turns to the nature, and they look to nature as the source of, of creation and the source of life instead of looking at it as as the gift. And uh, looking at verse verse uh, 23, no, 24, therefore, because of this, now, now you're going to see the roots of what we've got in our society and what's just becoming like a roller coaster here. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their heart. What is lust? I was reading a magazine one time. Uh, I was sitting in a, in a tire shop. They ever sit in a tire shop get your tires fixed? <laughs> and I should have taken something in to read and I didn't. I was looking around for something to read. And there was a car magazine on the table. So I picked it up, went to the editorial just to see what they had to say. And it says, and this magazine is about that we, we lust in automobiles. And there's nothing else that stuck in my mind whenever I read out of that magazine, but that did. <laughs> and I got to thinking about that, and I thought, lust in automobiles i i was I was being translated one time, and they couldn't translate this word "lust." They had a hard time translating the word lust. Um, so I got to thinking about that, so well maybe that's that's helpful. Question and answer: Is there anything wrong with automobiles? How many of you used an automobile to get meeting? How many were thankful for your air condition if it worked? In the winter time were thankful for the heat um Automobiles are a good thing. They're a wonderful thing. Can you twist your appreciation for automobiles into something else? Can you take that automobile and make an idol out of it? Can it consume your time and... You get the drift? Lust is taking something good that God has given. Whatever it might be, something good that God has given and twisted it into something that it shouldn't be. It's a, a misuse of the good things that God has given us. That makes sense? All right. Um, Therefore, God gave them up to the uncleanness in the lust of their hearts. Notice where the lust started, in their affections. That word heart is another word for affection. "...to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature." That's what's going on today. "...rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up." In other words, God doesn't force this on them. He, He just finally steps back and quits trying to keep them from going down that road. And just steps out of the way and says, "I can't stop your foolishness i 'm stepping out of the way and letting you go down that road that 's what 's happening in our society. For this reason. God gave him up to vile passions. The word vile means passions that are not appropriate there's two We have two different natures in a sense um, one is the higher intellectual nature that we have. We think, okay, 2 plus 2 equals 4. And really, since that happens, I need mean to pay attention to 2 plus 2 because I like 4 or I certainly don't want 5. So, I, you know, so you think through things there and you make decisions. That's your higher nature. There's your lower nature. There's nothing wrong with your lower nature. I don't know why uses the word lower nature. I don't know if, it's, if that's the best word for today's world. There's nothing wrong with your lower nature. And that includes appetite. Is appetite a good thing? I, I like it. I like it. Um, I don't know what you had for lunch, but I can tell you what I had for lunch. I'm not going to, but I don't want to bore you with that. But um, my point is that that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, our sexual natures, there's nothing wrong with genders. There's nothing wrong with uh, genders being attracted to each other. That's that's normal. Nothing wrong with that. It's the abuse it's using it in a vile way, and that's what's happening in our society. Um, we claim in our culture—I uh, don't want to get too deep into this, so I'm going to stay with the Apostle Paul—but we claim in our culture to give women freedom, and at the same time, our culture treats women women very vile. Now, not vile like ISIS. but in our culture we splash women on pictures of women on all kinds of things am i right and and we use their beauty which is a gift from god to sell everything from toothpaste to computers it's affected people's thinking affects the thinking of men and so forth well, I don't have to get into a lot of that. You, you know, I, I just want to help us to understand that. Now notice, notice the last part of that verse. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving themselves in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. Let me go ahead and read the next verse. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. And then he begins to, to list that. Um, our society's is in, in real, real trouble. It used to be that... Uh, First of all, we start out with the perversion of heterosexual uh, relationships. Uh, You have all the um, nudity, etc., the airways, the entertainment industry was just filled with it. Pretty soon, you know what happens? People get tired of that, and then they want something different. And so they start experimenting in other different kinds of things. And the next thing you know, uh, we have this thing, oh, somebody's come out of the closet that's been around now for 10 years or whatever. Um, it might have been better if it had stayed in the closet. And, and let me underline something. I'm not trying to be funny. Uh, I understand that people have serious problems, and I want to I wanna talk about that in just a moment here. God loves everybody. It doesn't matter where He finds you. He can take us from the guttermost to the uttermost, as somebody said one time. Um, But the reason it's having such a baneful... When the the movies start putting this kind of behavior, actors start acting out this kind of behavior in front of a younger generation, what happens? Uh, A lot of homosexuality... uh, and lesbianism is not something that people have necessarily a tendency toward, it's something they've learned. Now, uh, I'm not trying to be political here, so I have to put the disclaimers in. So I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, I don't care what you are. But Ben Carson is a famous Adventist uh, surgeon, uh, neurosurgeon, and he was interviewed. Oh, by one of these um, anchor news people who think they have to tell the rest of us what to think. Somebody should have said amen about that. (laughs) We need to think for ourselves. Uh, At any rate, they asked Ben Carson because he had made a statement that a lot of people go into prison and they go in as heterosexuals and they come out as homosexuals. And he said, and they said, so uh, he was saying that. And so he says, therefore, this is a choice. And you think this anchor, you know, would be going to have a heart attack. <gasps> no, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but it, it, I'm not too far off. But the fact is, I, you know, how how can you be so dumb as to actually believe that it was a choice? <laughs> how, how, how could you? How could you be so stupid? I mean, haven't you seen the science? And I I saw that and I said, I wish I could have been there. I had an answer for those guys. (laughs) And my answer would have been, let me ask you a question. Are heterosexuals, do heterosexuals, Do they have to engage in physical intimacy, yes or no? Do they? They may have the tendency to. Exactly. They have a will. It's still a choice. If it's in your genes to be an alcoholic, you don't have to become an alcoholic. You still have a choice. That's right. That's right. That's right. Sin has beat all of us up. Okay, it's we all come in this world, and by the way, every generation, another one you ought to do some study in is John Sanford. He's the inventor of the gene gun. uh, Co-inventor of the gene gun. From... um, I want to say Sanford University, I think I'm right. There's one that starts with a C, this famous university. Uh, maybe that'll come to my mind. Any At any way, rate, um, he, he was an atheist. He was an evolutionist. He did not believe in Christianity. And he became a Christian because of his own research. And here's what he discovered. He says evolution counts on these changes That have to be good in other words to keep you know becoming more complex and he says that's not what's going on he says it doesn't matter whether it's plants or humans or whoever it is our genes are damaged every generation so that uh, your children are going to have more damage to their genes than you had we're down here at the end and so we got a lot of damage to our genes a lot of damage And we're all suffering for it. And um, he's saying that that instead of the human race, he says the only reason people are living longer today is because we've got all this modern medicine and we have better nutrition and so forth like that. But he says that's, that's, he said, is not, uh, he says the truth is, he said, if you take away some of that stuff, he says the human race is going to live shorter and shorter and shorter. And he says it's like this. He said it goes in a curve. It goes in a steep curve and then it levels off and keep sliding, and then at some point the human race will crash and die. It will crash and die because it can't hold off the infections. It, the immune system doesn't work anymore. The organs don't function like they're supposed to. And he became a Christian. Believes in the second coming of Jesus. Because it's the only solution. It's the only solution. The only solution for the human race is, is the coming of the Lord. So evolution is impossible," he said. "It's, all, it, it's, it's just it's bogus science because uh, we're degenerate. So in that, sometimes people are going to get. It's a tiny percent of the population, but some people are going to have um, genetic predispositions towards certain things. But just because you have a genetic predisposition to a hot temper doesn't doesn't mean that you should exhibit a hot temper. Am I right? Or an uncontrolled temper. It's okay to have a temper. It just needs to be under control. Amen. And that's where the gospel gives us power to become different people. Okay. Mm, yeah, yeah, they got some really good stuff, and I don't have time to get into it. But I, <laughs> uh, they're great to listen to; they really are. All right, but but coming back to um, uh, coming back to this, uh, where where we were. So we see all of this stuff around us today, and we're, our society gives all kinds of excuses for it. Now look at verse twenty nine: being filled with all unrighteousness. Notice he starts listing off a list here: sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, um, maliciousness. Is that did I say that right? Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. There are whispers, backbiters. Sounds like the internet, doesn't it? Like the evening news. Um, haters of God. Violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them. That's a, getting to be a pretty close description of our society. Am I right? And that's where it's going and that's where it's headed. Um, there's, it comes to places there's no restraint. Who wants to live in that kind of society? That's why I'm a Christian. This, is, this world is not my home. This is not my world. This is not the world I want to live in. I've got a world that I'm headed to where all of that is not true about that list I just read, and people are going to be kind and loving and unselfish. What a world to live in. won't be any greed. People don't get up every morning thinking about me, 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 me. They think about, what am I going to do to be a blessing today to somebody? And as Christians, we want to start living our life to be a blessing. And we should ask ourselves, how am I living my life? Am I living my life today to be a blessing? Have I, God, have you used me today to be a blessing? Have I blessed somebody today? Have I added to somebody's happiness? Have I added value to people's life? And that's what Jesus does. He adds value to our life. Aren't you glad for that value that He adds to our life? So, you know, we don't think about suicide because we have Jesus. He's added value to our life. We, we have a heaven that we're going to. We have a new earth we're going to. We have a society that's going to be marvelous and wonderful. This world today is just, they're, you know, they've been out of shape over riches. Every nation is saying, How can we get rich like America? Americans are saying, How can we stay rich? And, you know, it goes on and on. Am I right? Yeah. And, and you look at the world around you, and everybody's concentrated on that. Well, I'm not saying that we should not need to take care of putting bread on our table. I understand that. We ought to, you know, those kind of things are important things. But my point is that we don't live our life in greed. We don't live our life. You know, you ever seen one of those bumper stickers that says "says uh, He who has the most toys at death wins"? Have you ever seen one of those bumper stickers? That is so pitiful. He's dead and he's got toys that he can't take with him. I mean, I like the one that says "He who dies with the most toys still dies." Still dies. Yeah, still dies. That's That's good. Um. I'm not saying we don't improve ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. But my point is, I'm not here to live for myself. When Jesus came, did He spend one day living for Himself? No. He he woke up every day, went to bed every night, thinking about what He could do to be a blessing for others. And He was willing to sacrifice Himself to see that it was done. Isn't that a wonderful Lord that we serve? Please. And the good news is, uh, uh, we cannot do this on ourselves, by yeah. ourselves. It's it's the power of God. So we, God gives us the power to live what He wants us to be. So that is the good news. Amen. 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 And amen. Okay, I got five more minutes. So we got a, I got a lot of territories. Let's let's get into chapter two for just a little bit. Therefore, he says, you are inexcusable, O oh man, whoever you are, who judge, for in whatever you judge another, condemn yourself. Why? What's the next sentence? For well, you judge, you practice the same thing. Yeah, that's what we call a hypocrite now. So, you know, I'm, I'm out stealing, stealing, and then I turn around and see somebody else stealing and say, you rascal, you, what are you doing that for? And that's sometimes the world we live in. Am I right? I mean, it's just, um, it's easy to judge. It was Jesus who said, you you know, before you, he never said not to judge. He says, but before you judge your brother, get the plank that's in your eye out first. In other words, solve your own problem. Don't be a hypocrite. And then you can be in good shape to make some decisions about uh, other things. Some people take that thing to say, don't don't ever judge. Don't ever judge. I said, you ever go down the, to the country store, so to speak? This is just proverbial. Yeah. You go down to the country store and, you know, they cheat you out of 10 bucks. And you get out the car. you What? And uh, so you say, okay, well, I like trading there. They're convenient. So, so I just made a mistake. You go back there and do it again. Are you going to make some kind of decision about trading at that place? Are you? You can't live without making judgments about life. So he's not talking about not being able to discern right and wrong. If I see you stealing, I'm not judging your heart, but I am judging the behavior. If you're stealing, you're stealing. By the way, stealing is wrong in any culture around the world. There's never a place that is not wrong. Now, Vicki and Evelyn aren't here, so they might not like my next illustration. So, Vegetarian is a good thing. You should do it. Most people, there may be some people that can't, but most people, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But meat eating is not a sin or it would be a sin around the world. You understand the difference? Now it might be a sin for me because there's a principle called the principle of helpful living, and I want to treat my body in a good way, and I have access to good vegetables, blah, 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 blah. So for me, it may not be treating my body. I'm not judging you on that. It might not be treating my body the way I ought to treat it, so the Lord expects me to treat my body well. But as a general rule, meat-eating is not a sin like stealing. Stealing is wrong all the way around the world. In every place, and so we have to make we have to make judgments. We have to discern between, and and that, a lot of people get stuff in the wrong drawer. You know, some people think that they eat a cookie that they're going to hell or something like that. I said, whoa, 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 get stuff in the right drawer. In other words, if you're eating two dozen cookies, your wife just made. Uh, Oatmeal raisin cookies, oh yes, I got a weakness for that. But. <laughs> I do try to exercise self-control. So. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't eat two dozen of those. Yeah, the Lords might say, well, You you're not doing you're not doing good there. But eating eating a cookie or something like that will not gonna hurt you. Use some common sense. Ah, good. I got some amens out of that. And I'm almost out of time, so we'll pick that up tomorrow right where we left off. And let me, since i got one minute, let me come back to your question. Can you see what Paul is saying? He's saying you see all this wickedness around us, and you see the results of it. Are we seeing the results of it in our society today? So he's saying that you're seeing the results of that. So the wrath of God is already being revealed toward this kind of behavior. But there's a bigger time. We'll get into it as we get into chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, we'll get into even a much more revelation of the justice of God and the mercy of God as we get into those chapters. Will you bow your heads with me? Our Heavenly Father, thank You for the book of Romans. Thank You for Your presence here. And Lord, I want everyone to be able to go out of here and explain this to others. May they all become masters of Your book, under the tutorship of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Thank you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.